If you know, you know. Today is Thursday, September 28th, 2023. Time for episode 197 of the Barnhart Podcast. Well, I jokingly referred to this as a pregame show on a previous podcast, but we're not looking forward to the game that's about to go down in Rome. And uh, if you are a big fan of the MazaCast podcast, well, you should like this one. Um, joining us from the West Coast, Dr. Maza is on the line, and from somewhere out in the dark, um, hit, always hitting it out of the park, sometimes with some snark, we have non Vinnie Mark. <laughs> <laughs> and how appropriate as uh we get the if you've been to mass today or in my case i've yet to be but i will be soon it's the uh, it's saint wenselis and uh the mass is martyr not a bishop and we get the non veni pacem gospel from matthew chapter yes. 10 all right <laughs> And it's the vigil of St. Michael the Archangel, let us not forget. So it's a it's a fortuitous day to be recording this um <laughs> this what do we even call this? It's a, it's not a a warm-up, it's just a <laughs> a throw-up, I guess, of the of the sin hyphen nod that's about to start. Well, if the end of the world was a football game, this is the pregame show, which is what that was the joke I was making is that we're, we're getting ready to catalog what we're pretty sure they're all about to do. But I don't have the outline. So I'll let somebody else take over. Mark, <laughs> the world, the world's looking at you, baby. Well, I think what we're what we're here to discuss or might even say prepare the uh, listenership for is what's about to go down next month in Rome, which by all accounts is going to be pretty wild and possibly denying doctrine or trying to change doctrine, which keep in mind that a synod is merely an advisory body uh, under in, in normal times, should we say. But, but Mark, how, how is that possible? How is what possible, Anne? <laughs> I was trying to lob you grapefruit there. <laughs> how is it possible for a... a, a, a how how a, could a pope possibly preside over, a, over an ecumenical gathering in which, in which heretical ideas were promulgated? <laughs> promulgated. Sorry, it's as, 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 the, as the title of, the, of episode 196 was, I think it's 196. I mean, you either laugh or take hostages at this point, so... <laughs> right, right. And I have to apologize. I'm... I'm, I'm failing on background here because I haven't listened to the, the latest Barnhart podcast. So you'll have to fill me in if I'm, uh, we'll save it for I'm your next trans trans oceanic flight or something like that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mark doesn't listen to the podcast. He records them. Ooh, yes. And also play it, play it at double speed. It's, uh, that's the, well, one, I, one I don't listen to anyway. all of them. Oh yeah. I don't listen. I, I probably listened to 15% of them because, you know, I was there when it happened, so I don't really feel the need to. Um, but there are, occasion, there are occasions when I need to go back and say, wait, what exactly did we say? What exactly was referenced? And I always listened at, du at double speed. And I don't know, maybe, maybe I can get away with it because I know exactly what was said and I understand myself. And Basically, the double speed just kind of sounds like the internal the internal monologue going on inside my head. So it's kind of it's kind of normal for me. But yeah. So I guess the two topics that are closest at hand and, and 
you know, correct me or add to this if, I, if I'm wrong, but since we've already had the ratification of adultery and fornication in Amoris right. Laetitia, the two new ones now for next month would seem to be uh, the blessing of sodomy and the uh, ordination of women. Do I have that right? There's, isn't there another one? There's one, there's one more thing, isn't there? Um, ordination of women and, oh, there's a third one. What are they talking about? Ordination of women, ratification of sodomy. There's a third one, and I'm going to scream it out in the middle, in the, in the disjointed <laughs> moment here in the middle. <laughs> Dr. Matza, what say you? Ah, uh, regarding the sin nod. The well, synod. in the words of Obi Wan Kenobi, you will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. Scum and villainy. <laughs> Well done. Exactly. We've been saying that about about the Vatican for a while now. It, it's so it's so bad that literally, and I'm getting ready. This is gonna, the post that I'm going to do tonight. The Dome of St. Peter's is literally turning black, and it's not. Oh, this has happened before. The the great refrain that we hear, you know, every single day. It seems from trad inc and and conservative novus order land oh this has all happened before no it really hasn't even even the bizarre um corrosion or whatever you would call it of the dome of saint peter's never happened before uh, it's been dirty before but it's never it's never been turned turned black like this and it's never gotten so dirty so fast between cleanings so i really do think that it's 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 a sign. It's a it's a sign of you know the installation of the of the Pachamama on the high altar and the fact that the building needs to be completely exercised and reconsecrated. And if you haven't seen the uh, some of the latest pictures, we can we can put one up in the show notes. But oh, absolutely, was it yeah. they put it? Was it St. Louis Catholic that put it up last week? I think. I think so. Yeah. Yep. Very recent picture of the dome, and it's not turning black, folks. It's black. Mm-hmm it's it's shocking to see yep and it, this has been going on for a while i started getting pictures of it um oh well what's it been it's been a year probably a little over a year but then it's it's kind of hard to tell because with all of the lockdowns in italy a lot of people weren't there and there wasn't you know there weren't People didn't have the opportunity to take pictures of it, so there's not as much of a record of it. But absolutely, within the last year, the things just just turned black. It's bizarre. What strikes me is that this didn't happen in 2013 or 2014. It happened last year, and last year was the last time we had a true pope. Isn't that interesting? Ah, oh, isn't that interesting? Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. It hadn't occurred to me. It, you're exactly right. Now that now that he's gone, that uh, and the the desecratory funeral and oh, uh, and remember remember what they tried to do. Remember when uh, the archpriest of the basilica tried to leave him in there alone, and right. the Swiss guards put their foot down and said, "Absolutely not. We are not leaving. You can you can do whatever you want to us, but we're not leaving." And God bless them because God knows what they would have done. After they had carted him over there in a cargo van. Yep. Remember that? In an old, beat-up, gray cargo van. Yep. Absolutely sick. So is it possible for a true pope to take the advice of a synod that goes contrary to Catholic doctrine 
and promulgate said heresy in the magisterium. Is that possible? Nope. As we understand the Petrine promises. <laughs> nope. <laughs> depends on whether you ask. Uh, depends on whether you ask Bishop Schneider or not. Oh, yes. Dr. Matza, go, yes, go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm treading on thin ice in the Catholic world here. Uh, well, as we all know, uh, Bishop Schneider has done much good and said many good things, but mm-hmm. uh, he has reiterated a position of his, uh, which is essentially that, and it's been spread by Trad Inc., that... Uh, <laughs> Even if the Pope were a flaming heretic, there's absolutely zero we can do about it. And uh, that's just it. Just live with it. Which is uh, not true, um, but according to the theologians. But, um, but on top of that, he has said, and I'll just quote his letter, there is no authority to declare or consider an elected and generally accepted Pope as an invalid pope, you know, period. Uh, now, I, I don't know, there's different ways. You, I know, can, you know what that's called in Kansas? That's called making stuff up, is what that's <laughs> called. Yeah. It makes you wonder if he's completely ignorant of history and of anti-popes, the popular anti-popes, and so on and so forth. Does he know who St. Catherine of Siena is? That's a good one, Mark, exactly. Uh People don't know that. I mean, it's not generally known. That's why I offer church history courses, folks. Go to edmundmaza.com. Sign up for our latest courses, which start in just three weeks. Um, yes, St. Catherine of Siena, exactly 645 years ago this week, sent a letter to the cardinals because in September of, let me get the date right, 1378, all the cardinals universally <laughs> accepted Clement VII as Pope, uh, formerly known as Cardinal Robert of Geneva. Um, and even though she was an unlettered lay nothing and, and a woman of all things, uh, she, and I have, we can put the link in the show notes, she wrote a letter to them in which she exercised her own judgment in saying that the real pope was actually Urban the Sixth, whom the cardinals had elected back just five months earlier in April. Um, so, I mean, I could read you some choice selections from her letter, but this ref- historically refutes what Bishop Schneider is saying. Well, I'd love for you to read parts of the letter. I just wanted to point out that He's also using a common, uh, I don't know if red herring is the right fallacy or or not, but he's using the word authority as if we're claiming authority out here in, you know, layman world. We're not claiming authority. We're simply claiming a right to examine the evidence and to proclaim the truth as we see it. So it's frustrating. As others have pointed out, that first sentence, Bishop Schneider seems to mash together two different concepts when he said, there's no authority to declare, which would be a a juridical official thing, or consider, which would be a private, you know, judgment, you and I, all of us having this conversation here, um, 
of course, we don't derogate to ourselves the authority to declare it to the church as something official. That's something that a, a future pope will do. But we can consider what rational investigation shows us. Uh, so he's putting those two things together, which is, is confusing the issue. Um, but I, I can read you some choice selections from what St. Catherine of Siena had to say. Um, she doesn't, she doesn't um, claim to have divine inspiration to know who the real Pope is, nor does she say, well, you know, I'm just a woman, I'm just a lay person, I don't have the authority to say so. Um, she says, for example, to, um, to the cardinals, and remember, this is all the cardinals, all right, so this is universal peaceful acceptance here, in spite of which you clearly know the truth that Pope Urban VI is truly Pope, the highest pontiff chosen in orderly election, not influenced by fear, truly rather by divine inspiration than by your human industry. And, and so you announced it to us, which was the truth. Now you have turned your backs like poor mean knights. Your shadow has made you afraid. You have divided, you, ha you have divided you from the truth which strengthens us and drawn close to falsehood. Um, and then later on, she, she, you know, she basically says to them that, that they're, they're deserving of torture uh, and that they've inflicted <laughs> evil on the church. Uh, and that uh, it says, that evil which you have in yourselves, you wish to infect us with, withdrawing us from obedience to Christ on earth, meaning the real Pope, and leading us into obedience to Antichrist, a member of the devil, as you are too, so long as you shall abide in this heresy. Take that. <laughs> wow. Okay, you, you've got, uh, okay, so I've already disclosed that I'm, I'm recording a part three, and I think the recording date is going to be October 7th, which, what a date, right? Um, I think I just found my opening salvo for the presentation. <laughs> Good. No, I'm, I'm a pussycat compared to her. Good heavens. That's wonderful. <laughs> doctor of the church. Doctor of the church. Mystically espoused to our Lord. Wow. Incredible. And as a doctor of the church, her writings are part of the magisterium, if you don't know that. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. I have a, a new book here uh, from super nerd sent received it yesterday it's called of prayer and meditation by venerable louis of granada dominican and uh, i cracked it open this morning and out from it from the first leaflet uh fell a little prayer card uh because uh saint bellarmine is a big fan of these writings as was uh St. Teresa of Avila, who, uh, you know, it's, it's very, from what I've perused so far, it's, it reminds me of divine intimacy. It's, it has a very Carmelite feel, even though he was a Dominican. Anyway, here's the little quote from St. Robert Bellarmine that fell out. This was like 30 minutes ago. It is granted to few to recognize the true church amid the darkness of so many schisms and heresies and to fewer still, to so love the truth, capital T, which they have seen, as to fly to its embrace. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's all been laid out that there's 
it's there's going to be such a massive deception that almost everybody is going to be tricked and you know all people can accuse me of of you know having an inflated ego and all day long and fair enough fair fair criticism but i can tell you the two gentlemen the the three gentlemen on the line with me right now don't and we're not we're, we're not being egomaniacs when we say um it's that it's astounding to us how many people there are that that can't see this or can't acknowledge it or even intransigent intransigently on the wrong side and really the only the only explanation for it it isn't that we're all so great and wonderful and 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 you know walking saints i mean f far from it we're we're hope to make it to the beatific vision but you know the question is open until the moment of death for all of us um god god willing god willing that we are in the state of grace and we stay in the state of grace to paraphrase to paraphrase saint joan of arc but um it's not some egomaniacal gnostic uh mindset on our parts here i mean we're all just sitting here slack-jawed and astounded um like uh, i think there's more and more people now that just so many people are just getting absolutely hoodwinked by this thing and it's it's one of the most transparently obvious scams that's that's ever been run on the surface of the earth and so and so massively visible and it's um that's it's, just it's it right astounding. it's not we're far from gnosticism it's the opposite it's it's, it's the blatantly opposite. visible yeah 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 dr matza yeah i just want to add that um you know, people accuse us of schism. P people have publicly <laughs> accused us of schism, uh, and uh, and uh, you have. Uh, I, I, we we all have posted on our blogs quotes from reliable sources that say that we're not in schism according to traditional teaching. But I'd just like to add another uh, quote from uh, the Bishop of Florence, Saint Antonius, who actually lived during the Renaissance. And he, speaking about what happened uh, during the Great Western Schism, uh, says the following. He says, so there were three different popes, in quotation marks. Of course, only one of them was the true pope, right? But he says, whoever from any of the three parties simply believed that his own was the true pope and no other, by the dictates of his conscience... Yeah. and was ready even to adhere to the other if this could be established is believed to be wait for it excused from the vice of schism and its opinions um and uh, and also we have to be on guard uh i know this is dr maza talking we have to be on guard against the other um the Scylla and Charybdis here, uh, we have to be on guard against Charybdis because there are some uh, people that believe that Benedict is Pope who then say that if you go to a mass where Francis is named in the Tegator, uh, you're, you're in schism, right? They try to excommunicate everybody else. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, I don't want to cast aspersions, but would I be right that Father Minatella falls into that? Or Oh, abso oh absolutely, absolutely. Okay. 
because there are some. You know, I think names. I think at this I think at this point Minutella thinks that he's the only Catholic priest left on the surface of the earth, and that's where all of those movements eventually go. It all just keeps fracturing and fracturing and fracturing until you get down. It turns into cults, just exactly like Protestantism. It eventually turns into a cult centered on one person, and that one person is the only Catholic or only Christian left on the surface of the earth, and if you don't go to their church and you aren't part of their cult, then you're out. And people, human beings, um, just really have a tendency to glom onto this. I mean, I've talked about this in the context of sports and how, you know, professional sports in a certain sense or, or just sports in general in in the modern west has kind of like uh, uh fertilized and 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 cultivated this sense of people just wanting to pull themselves into these tribes and we're good and everyone else is bad i think the professional sports dynamic is a little bit of an analog to this and is fed into this but i also just think that it's the nature of original sin the fall that people just just want to be like this and it's the it's the opposite of catholicity of the universal nature of the church um, one holy Catholic and apostolic. It's the third mark of the church. And it's just that that tendency of people to want to say, I'm in, but more importantly, you're out. And this is, it's completely contrary to the gospels. It's completely contrary to our Lord's words in the parable of the wheat and the tares where, you know, the landowner, um, he plants his field to wheat and an enemy comes and scatters seed of weeds throughout the field of his wheat. And, you know, the, the crop comes in and it's, it's a bunch of wheat, but it's also riddled and rife with weeds. And the laborers say, the hired men say, um, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to go in and, and tear all these weeds out? Do you want us to try to attack this? And what does our Lord say? And it's so instructive for our situation right now today. He says, no, leave it. Leave it until the harvest, because if you go in there and you start trampling around and you start pulling all of these weeds out, you're going to uproot and you're also going to pull out and, and kill at the same time a bunch of the wheat. So leave it. Leave it until the harvest and then it will all get sifted at the harvest. Now, this is not a call to quietism and that there's nothing we can do or we're, we're going to jump all over this. Um, but it, it's a warning to us that... And, it, you know, non-Venny Mark and I, we've, we've said this to each other multiple times. Man, I think that the little old ladies who are going to the Nova Sordo church, sitting in the back, praying their rosary, and even though it's Father Jazz hands up there um, with his mask on, um, I, would, I would strongly suspect that a lot of those little old ladies who are stuck in the Nova Sordo, and little old men too, let's not be... Uh, let's not be misogynistic here, um, that that they are further ahead in sanctity than I am. <laughs> and I and I go to the old mass every day. So um, 
it's we have to be careful about this that and what our lord is saying is there's going to be there's going to be a mess all the way into the end because he mentions the harvest and the harvest is of course the image of you know the general judgment when he comes and he and he purifies everything um so it's going to be a mess until the end and so if you have this disordered mindset thinking that the remnant church on earth is going to be this pristine thing um, i think you're wrong about that what do you gentlemen say well the catechism certainly says that um supposedly a paragraph inserted by cardinal ratzinger himself i think it's 675 where it talks about the final trial of the church and it's going to be a a mess yeah and you know where uh where in um daniel talks about the or, or in the gospels as well uh that if the time weren't shortened even the elect would be deceived you've got to rep repeat those words over and over to yourself because and, and look in the mirror you know like that's terrifying yeah but the point I always make about the parable of the wheat and the tares is go look up on the internet, look at pictures of wheat and of tares, and you can't tell the difference between the two until very, very late, very late. Ah, excellent point. Yeah. Yep. Hence the admonition that you're going to tear out wheat if you go in and try to pull all the weeds out. Ah, right. That's an you're gonna mistake. Point. Yeah. You're gonna mistake the two for each other. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, and and mm -hmm. go ahead, Doctor Monza. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna add, just to reiterate, um, Saint Antonius basically says, you know, re regarding those people who think that you you and I should be logically consistent and not go to Novus Ordo masses where Francis is named or even traditional masses but um he says uh uh he says that the regarding the sacraments right uh he says that it, the the essence of the sacrament this is uh, the reason for this is that neither schism nor heresies nor any vice prevents the sacraments from having their efficacy which right. is certainly true as far as the essence of the sacraments is concerned some agreeing to the false party meaning, you know, to the wrong pope, in the manner aforesaid, are not schismatics. Uh, so he just reiterates that point. So, um, but uh, yeah, we, we can't be holier than thou on this and just <clears throat> start, uh, you know, saying that those that don't follow, uh, you know, it, it, again, it, 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 as Mark just said, scripture says even the, even the elect would be deceived if God didn't shorten the time here. And I think I think it's I certainly see that in my personal observation. I see I could rattle off names of people that I just who are just wonderful, good, believing Catholics who are just just on this one thing. They just can't they just can't quite make that step or make that logical connection. And I don't begrudge them that at all. Now, what I do want to do, though, is I want to I want to take the other side of this argument, though. And I do want to point out when we're talking about the Great Western Schism, when we're talking about, you know, the controversy that St. Vincent Ferrer and St. Catherine of Siena lived through and St. Catherine helped to resolve all of in fact, all of these anti papacies, Dr. Matza, how many anti papacies do you say there have been what where are you on the spectrum because it's like a range from 36 to 45 or something how many do you yeah. think there are uh i'd have to go back and check i'd say it's in the 30s 
In the 30s, absolutely. Okay, so um, the one point and precision that we do have to make about this, and this speaks to the conscience question, um, this is where this gets, this situation gets really hairy, is that all of the previous anti-popes, and again, Dr. Matza, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe you will, you will confirm this, all of the previous anti-popes were Catholic. They were obviously Catholic. Nobody was trying to tear the church down to the ground. Nobody was worshiping demons. Nobody was trying to ratify sodomy or adultery or, or declare that hell didn't exist or deny the divinity of Christ. Nothing like that. So yeah, this situation is absolutely different and far more hairy than what was going on. St. Vincent Ferrer was wrong about who the Pope was for years. He was commemorating a man who was not the Pope at the Teigeter every day at his Mass. He was also levitating. He was performing miracles right and left while he was doing this. So what that tells us is that, yes, he, he was obeying his conscience. He truly believed that the guy he was backing was the right guy until he had it shown and explained to him, no, you're wrong and here's why. And then as soon as he, as soon as he came to the fullness of truth, of course, his conscience demanded that he flip. And he, he of course, did because you always have to adhere to the fullness of the truth. But that's not where we are. And this is where it gets really hard and really delicate because all of these people today, the Tradink partisans, all of these people, Bishop Schneider, et cetera, et cetera, who are coming out and saying, Francis is definitely Pope, shut up, stupid. All of this contingent, these people all have seen exactly the same events that we've seen. They've all seen the pot worship. They've all seen, oh, sorry, super nerd, you're gonna, he's going to have to beep that out again. And I need to be using our taco mama or whatever our, whatever our, uh, our secret code word is that we've that we've decided on for the demon. Um, all of these people have seen all of these things. This isn't like some medieval political jockeying question that Saint Vincent Ferrer and so many other people got caught up in. It, it wasn't it wasn't completely visible to you know the average pew sitter who exactly the pope was it was it was not something that these political issues were not something that the average illiterate peasant in you know prussia <laughs> would, would have been able to have seen recognized and discerned they were in a sense at that point dependent upon um, you know, bishops, cardinals, people on the ground, um, and, and then, as it turned out, people like St. Catherine of Siena, people who were involved in the question and informed about the question um, and, and were acting and working to correct these situations. So I do want to make sure that the other side of the point is made, that you can't just say, well, all these people today, they're just, they say Francis is Pope, and they're, they're just adhering to their conscience. Well, at a certain point, you have to ask the question, how well-formed is that, is that conscience? 
Do you guys have anything to say about that? Well, I think you also have to consider if your conscience is so in opposition to logic and linear thought, it, what comes to mind is the is the video from, from last week or two weeks ago with John Henry, and immediate, which of course at the end, after openly discuss, discussing the heresy and you know being really pretty honest about the situation, the conclusion at the end, of course, is that, well, we can't do anything, so Francis must be Pope. And then, you know, an hour later, he put something on Twitter that says, uh, pray for the conversion of Pope Francis. Which it, is a violation of the law of non-contradiction. Of course. Exactly. Of yeah. course. You, you're, you're, okay, so you're saying that a non-Catholic is Pope. Are yeah. you really hearing yourself? Yeah, exactly. It's... Uh, it's really frustrating. People that smart should know better than that. Go ahead, Dr. Matza. Yeah, I got so frustrated about it that over the summer, I, I did a blog post, which is still up, um, called If Francis is Pope. And I just, I went through like 30 different oh, yeah. quotations, starting in the third century, showing how, uh, I'll just read a couple of, a few quotes here, and you guys tell me uh, who's right and who's wrong here. Um, Pope St. Lucius, who reigned from 253 to 254, who was martyred. The Roman Apostolic Church is the mother of all churches and has never been shown to have wandered from the path of apostolic tradition, nor being deformed, succumbed to the heretical novelties. And this is according to the promise that Jesus uh, gave to Peter in Luke chapter 22 verses 31 through 32 I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not okay uh, Pope St. Felix the first 269 to 274 when speaking of the Roman Church he said she remains unsullied uh, Pope Damasus the first the first see therefore has neither stain nor blemish and, and I, I and those are just that's just from the third and fourth centuries I can go all the way up to the, you know, to the 20th century. It's just, it's not possible for the Sea of Rome to, to go, to get this bad. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah. It's metaphysically not possible. And it's, it's the hubris. That's the only word that applies. It's the hubris of Trad Inc. and all of these other people who are saying by logical definition, again, this requires logical linear thought, if, if not, P then Q, you know, you can't, you can't have two completely contradictory ideas at the same time. Um, the hubris that all of these people, all of the citations in Dr. Matz's blog post, and, and really everyone, absolutely everyone, for the last almost 2,000 years now, every single person, every believing Catholic, all of them have been wrong about the papacy and now only these people these trad ink people who have decided to embrace um whether whether they realize it or not or whether they admit it or not the freemasonic agenda of destroying the papacy that they they are the ones who are now um the the embodiment of the fullness of truth and that they alone are the ones who are liberating Jesus Christ's holy church from the air and delusion that it has been under for now almost 2,000 years. 
none I mean, these are really wonderful people john henry is a wonderful guy peter kwasniewski is a wonderful guy these are great people they're wonder they're wonderful conversationalists they're wonderful to be around they're they're family men these are good guys and you sit there and think how in the world can they possibly exist under under what has to be the absolutely grinding torturous weight of their own hubris in continuing to hold this position that everybody's been wrong for 2000 years and we're the ones who are liberating everyone from delusion including themselves because 10 years ago today every single one of these people would have defended till they were blue in the face vatican one papal infallibility etc cetera, etc cetera. i it's it really is amazing to me it and it circles back to what we were talking about before yeah you'd think maybe some of them would figure out that uh when all these polls come out and it's consistently 75 percent of trad yeah. in the pew laity think that francis is anti-pope if you really need to raise a half million dollars by october 1st maybe you should take the other side oh. or let's, or, <laughs> or oh. let the other side have their say <laughs> But they don't allow yeah. people like us to even express our view on their blogs, uh, on their in their newspapers, their their uh, podcasts. It's it's uh, censorship. <laughs> I mean, Dr. Matza, you've you've had the you've had the best luck. I mean, you've at least appeared on. I mean, what have you appeared on? You've appeared on Timothy Gordon's thing like twice, right? Once mm -hmm. by yourself and once with um, I Dream of the CIA. Um, <laughs> and then you've been, on, you've been on with John Henry. John Henry has had you on. I, I want to be fair, you know, these, you, because you're, you're so darn nice and <laughs> you're, you're so, you're so learned and you've, and you've got a PhD and, and. The check is in the mail. And, and you're great on TV, as they say, um, <laughs> that you, you've had the, be the best luck at making inroads. Um, so who, el who else am I missing? You Taylor the Marshall. You can't forget him. Taylor the Marshall. Taylor the Marshall. Um, yeah, that, that was how we first met Dr. Matza, because you That's appeared true. on Taylor the Marshall, and you emailed me your position paper. And I... That's of course, right. read it immediately and said, hello. <laughs> <laughs> but the How thing is, <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is recently though, they, they, uh, the winds of change have come and uh, uh, I can't really get on these things anymore. Um, you know, I think it's because of these dictums that come down from, you know, with all due respect, Bishop Schneider and others who say that, you know, it's the, the, the discussion is closed. You can't even express your opinion anymore. That's it. Uh, it's ridiculous. You know, and, and uh, Bishop Schneider wrote an intro blurb for I Dream of the CIA's uh, uh, pamphlet or whatever That's right. you would call that. He sure it's did. Like, oh, my goodness. Oh, goodness gracious. But, yeah. Uh, well, so. there are some who would claim, uh, and they, I don't know if they're, going at the, uh, you know, curiosity can be a sin. We have to remember that virtue always lies in the mean. So curiosity can go to an extent sometimes that it does become sinful. But what these folks are claiming is that we don't even have the right to examine the evidence. In, fa in fact, I think it was Voris who said at one point that uh, daring to examine the evidence in this case is a mortal sin. 
which is ridiculous and scandalous to say that. It's madness. How, how do you resolve any anti-papacy if you're not even allowed to answer, to ask the question? So th think about this logically. You've got a situation where there's a possible anti-pope. So someone takes over, someone usurps. What, what Voris's position is, is essentially the position of Mao, Mao Zedong, the Chinese uh, mass murdering dictator. Yes, absolutely. Do you remember that quote from that Obama operative? Oh, I'm, he's, and he, he was quoting Mao and he said, we agree with Mao that power comes from the barrel of a gun. What that means is the biggest thug wins. The biggest thug is the arbiter of truth. So if you, if you think about Voris's position and think about it logically and carry it to its logical conclusion, if no one is even permitted to ask the question about the legitimacy of someone who is calling themselves Pope, if that, is, if that is schism, if that is excommunicable, then what that means is that all anyone has to do, all Satan has to do, and see if this doesn't sound familiar, all Satan has to do is be the biggest thug and go in and take over by force. And then nobody's allowed to even ask the question. Well, for, okay, then let's, let's take this to the next step thinking logically what if i ann barnhart i raise an army i go to rome or i pull for some nukes or something and i go to rome and i hold everybody hostage and say i'm the pope i'm the pope and if you don't go along with this i'm gonna nuke the whole thing i'm gonna kill everybody i'm gonna nuke the whole thing and people are frightened and scared and they go along with this you're not allowed to ask the question you're not allowed to ask the question. Anybody who's the biggest thug, anybody who is, is most willing to use, quote unquote, the barrel of a gun, and don't think that that analogy doesn't hold with Bergoglio. The only reason Bergoglio has, has any power is because all of these guys are terrified of him. They're terrified that he's going to pull their career, pull their income, pull their pension, pull their prestige everything. They're terrified of him. They all hate his guts. They all know he's a slack-jawed, mouth-breathing imbecile. He's hated almost universally. At this point, probably the only friend, friends that this guy, that Bergoglio has, is Tucho Fernandez and that, and that serial rapist Jesuit Rupnik that he's, that he's just rehabilitated. Those are probably, and even they probably hate him behind closed doors. So it's this Maoist mindset that the biggest thug wins. Okay, Michael Vorce, answer me this. How did all of the other anti-papacies, which number in the dozens, how did they get fixed during the lifetime of the, of the anti-pope in question? Because people were asking the question, because people were engaging this. Um, the notion that you can't ask a question and just the biggest thug is the arbiter of truth is one of the most Luciferian things I think I've ever heard in my life. Well, if you ask too many questions, you're in double trouble. <laughs> oh, you did not. You're terrible. <laughs> if you know, you know. Yeah, the two things that these people rest their argument on are universal peaceful acceptance of the cardinals, which... 
Dr. Matza just demonstrated that's false. It's predicated upon legality. Well, yeah. right, but, but you know, St. Catherine of Siena proved that that's a, a, a false assertion. Yeah. And the, the second idea is no rival claimant, which is true as far as it goes. But if you understand the evidence as we've laid it out, it's really moot because, and I think the quote you had over and over was Pope Benedict, as he, in his, you know, quasi-resignation, obviously, obviously intended to remain in some way Pope. He's Pope, whether he likes it or not. Whether he likes it or not. Yep, exactly. And that's, admittedly, that's the first time in history that this has happened, where you had a guy who was trying to pretend, he wasn't even, he wasn't even trying to pretend that he wasn't the Pope. Look, it was obvious. Wake up every morning and every single morning you put on the white cassock. You put on the papal white. Every single morning your staff is calling you your holiness, Pope Benedict. You're answering correspondence and giving people my apostolic blessing. It's obvious, observably obvious that he intended to retain part of it. When he said in non solum propter, I'm resigning the ministry of the active governance of the church and then later says and the college of cardinals can convene to elect my successor it's obvious what he was saying was elect my successor as the administrative active pope because they have been writing and talking and fantasizing about this for decades, exactly this, fundamentally transforming the Petrine ministry into a collegial, synodal, shared office. I didn't just make that last part of that sentence up. That is a direct quote from the Georg Ganswein speech at the Gregorianum in May of 2016. I'm not, you can't make this stuff up. It's too, it's too silly. Uh, my brain doesn't, doesn't work on that, this level of silliness. He, he, was the, he was the one and only pope, whether he liked it or not. I think he liked perfectly well the idea that he was the, you know, the contemplative prayerful pope, that he was the pope emeritus, made up term, ontologically impossible, as Dr. Matza has taught us, because, well, let's think about professor emeriti. Uh, Professor Emeritus, when I was in college at K-State, one of the legends of animal husbandry was Professor Emeritus Don Good, and he was over 80. He had been retired as a professor, but he still had an office. He still had office hours. When a professor becomes a Professor Emeritus, does that mean that he's stripped of his PhD and he's no longer a professor? Of course not. Of course not. In fact, the guy was hanging around, was hanging around Weber Hall and had an office and had office hours. And, and yes, he was Professor Emeritus. What about Bishop Emeritus? And the, Bishop Emeritus is a Vatican II novelty, novelty, but the same idea holds. If a bishop becomes Bishop Emeritus, is he stripped of his episcopacy? Do they do the thing where they scrape hit the palms of his hands with, with shards of glass in a, in a symbolic gesture to strip the, the anointing oil of his, episcopacy, of his episcopacy off of him? 
No, of course not. Of course he's still a bishop. Of course he's still ontologically a bishop. So if you follow Ratzinger's um, false conception and novelty, this thing that he made up of a Pope Emeritus, well, if a man's still the Pope, if he's a Pope Emeritus, just like a Professor Emeritus or just like a Bishop Emeritus, he, by, by, his own, by his own conception, he's still a Pope. Um, it's just in Ratzinger's mind, he had the articles mixed up and he thought that he was a Pope, not the Pope. And we all know that there's only one at a time. And so when people say, well, a non-solum propter, he said the College of Cardinals must convene and elect my successor. Well, it's obvious what he, what he was saying. And, and again, this isn't, you know, secret code, Gnosticism, anything like that. It's obvious. He says, I'm resigning the ministry of the active governance of the church elect my successor as the active governing uh, pope, and now there will be two of us. And aren't I wonderful, and aren't I special? And as Gans Wine said, why, this is the best thing since sliced bread. In fact, it's the best thing since the Immaculate Conception. And the whole uh, idea of delegating the governance while retaining the office, Canon 131.1, look it up. Office is retained. Yep, absolutely. Uh, that's that's just common sense again and i i think one of the big uh things we have to remember in all of this is where all of these these tradding um chattering class talking head pundit people we're talking about mostly a bunch of academics we we're talking about no offense dr matza in fact maybe dr matza cover yours right now uh <laughs> we're talking about people who have never met a payroll a lot of them have never served in the military and they just don't have a a, a sound uh, baseline conception of the idea of the of how important it is that in a in a large group situation that somebody has to be in charge and they're 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 internally comfortable with the idea of well yeah the 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 whole notion that we've had of the papacy it's been this notion that it's a monarchy and all this papal infallibility of Vatican I. This is all a disaster. We, it, we do need to evanesce this thing out into something, into something more reasonable. You, t you show me someone who's making that argument, and I'll show you someone who's never run a business or has never served in the military. Because, brother, when you do that, you learn real fast that somebody, one person, needs to be in charge or else collapse and chaos ensues. It's, it's well, you brought it up, Anne. Uh, Ganswine, Archbishop Ganswine, gave us the expression synodal papacy. Okay, we didn't make this, we can't make this stuff up. Uh, other Vatican II people did, or uh, Vatican II people did, not us. So <clears throat> I, I think in a certain sense, this gets us back to the synod again is that uh, all the stuff that you find in the Miller dissertation, this is all, um, it's what's led us to the synod on synodality. Yes, indeed. Here we are. So, you know, as stated at the, at the top of this podcast, we're really wanting to sort of prep the readership for what's going to come out of this because I can't believe they've, uh, you know, wasted all this time only to not do what they came here to do. And the second part of that is, what is going to be, what are going to be the reactions of some of the trading partisans that we, that we talk about here? Because at some point, it's really, you're really going to have to, as Anne was saying, sort of tear down the papacy in order to 
put this you know round peg into a square hole which you, ultimately you're not going to be able to do it and hopefully some of these folks check their base premise at some point yeah i mean um that's why um i think that's why bishop schneider came out a couple of years ago and basically told everybody yeah the pope can be a flaming heretic it's quite okay i mean it's i mean it's unfortunate but there's nothing we can do about it um that that might be the, the track that these people take and we have to remember that the papacy as a monarchy is not an absolute monarchy because if you go to if you take the opposite route and go that path then you're going to get yourself in a spot where well the pope can change doctrine the pope can bless sodomy and if he does that's means that's true well, you see uh, what I'm saying. So either yeah. either of the opposite paths, you know, if you if you're operating from the false base premise, mm -hmm. you're going to end up in a bad spot. Right. Well, it, that's what Tucho Fernandez. Uh, I like to call him Thunderlips, like from Rocky Three. You remember Hulk Hogan's character? That's right, ladies. It's Thunderlips because of his book on kissing. Um, <laughs> he uh, he was basically saying that the Pope has this uh, super insight that uh, he can just make up stuff and you know I, I forget his exact words but you know what i was referring to right yeah saying that um, basically the the petrine promises ensure that whatever bergoglio does is of the the holy spirit of course they always say spirit not holy spirit and given the other shenanigans these folks participate in, you can guess what kind of spirit that is. Well, wouldn't this also be kind of blasphemous in the sense that they're suggesting that there's a new public um, man of, or not, what's the word, uh, public revelation. The, the public revelation ended with the death of the last apostle. So the idea exactly. that they're going to come out of left field with brand new truths that everyone has to believe, that's blasphemous. Exactly. Yep. I'm reminded of uh, Bergoglio striking vicar of christ as one of the pontifical titles but also instructing the vatican press office at various times to address him as successor of christ you guys successor remember that of christ yep absolutely doesn't get much clearer than that and tucho fernandez referring to him as what what did tucho refer to him as it was something similar to that uh or maybe Tucho said successor of Christ too. It's 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 just absolutely stunning, stunning blasphemy. The fact I, I don't I don't understand how these people say the Gloria Patri. I mean, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be. I mean, how, oh but oh but God God is completely mutable and changes his mind, especially about sodomy, especially about that. Unbelievable. Right, because he always wavered on that one, right? Yeah, that was always, it was so fuzzy. It was just, yeah, it was such a gray area, wasn't it? Just <laughs> you know, it was really interesting. Difficult, I read, I read something a few doctrine. hours ago. They, uh, they have determined that, in fact, yeah, it looks like a legit asteroid hit, um, hit the Sodom and Gomorrah sites. They found, you know, there, you know, there's like everything is everything is coated in a layer of glass, and it's they think that an asteroid akin to the one that um, hit Siberia about a hundred years ago or a little over a hundred years ago. But yeah, I mean, a, an asteroid comes in and it detonates in the atmosphere. 
Yeah, so uh, two years ago this week, uh, an article appeared, um, an ancient Middle Eastern city destroyed by a meteor uh, is behind the tale of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, it says here, new research uh, suggests that the ancient Bronze Age city of Tal al-Haman in modern-day Jordan was destroyed by a meteor. Uh, and it, it goes on to talk about how um, it talks about the, the physical findings here. Um, and then it, it, it quotes um, Genesis. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. Um, the archaeologists say that uh, it would have effect affected near nearby cities as well, like Jericho. And so this is, you know, this is science is finally catching up with the Bible, essentially. Funny how that works. Yeah, how about mm, that? Ain't it though? And 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 the timing of it all isn't it funny that all of these archaeological, um, all these archaeological discoveries are happening right now <laughs> in all the points in history that it could have happened. It's all happening right now. Well, we often and talk sure about visibility, right? Yeah. We talk about exactly. visibility and how, you know, you wonder some of the, some of the things that are said and, you know, the Tucho interviews and, you know, some of these other nefarious characters and, you know, you, you wonder how much of it are they surrendering on their own and how much of it are they being forced to give up, you know, by the Holy Ghost uh, as a benefit to us so that it's so out in the open. And the other thing that I think about all the time is that this is happening at, you know, fairly well at the dawn of the internet age, right? I mean, 2013, you're only talking about 15 years. I mean, when did the internet become a thing? In the late 90s, right? Well, the World Wide Web came about in about 95, but the internet itself just turned 50. But most people using it, it wasn't installed in my commodity office. We didn't have it in our office until 1999. So the fact that everybody, it, we've progressed to the point now where it's not only out there, but it's also in everyone's pocket. And honestly, that really is around, what, 2010? Like uh, 2007 iPhone. is when the iPhone came out, and then um, Google ripped that off a couple of years later. And uh, it, but it was the 3GS, which would have been about 2009, 2010, when the phones really had full-time internet all the time. So almost directly corresponding with the uh, us usurpation of Bergoglio, it, it happening in real time within a couple years of the entire knowledge of you know. Everything that's happening in real time is in your pocket for the first time in history. Uh, that's, I mean, there's certainly some curses that go along with that, but uh, it's also a great blessing in terms of discovering truth and seeing these things that these monsters insist on putting out in full view. Speaking of uh, these monsters, if anybody wants a scorecard, uh, the National Catholic Register had a good article uh, synod on synodality, 23 movers and shakers at the 2023 Synodal Assembly. And that's dated September 25th. Um, so it, it, it goes through all the major players here. 
Now, it, Ro- National Rogues Catholic Register, Gallery. Is that, is that the liberal one or is that the semi-conservative one? This is the one owned by EWTN, National okay, Catholic the good, the good Register. One. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Hey, did any of you guys see the tweet from, do you all know who Patricia Heaton is? Yes. Uh, everybody loves Raymond and what was the one she was on for the last 10 years? The Middle, is that what it's called? I'm not familiar with that one. But Neither you know who I. Patricia Heaton is. Vaguely. Anyway, so uh, actress, very conservative uh, Christian. I'm not sure that I knew that she was Catholic, but apparently she's a trad Catholic. And she responded, we could put it in the show notes if I can't find it right now. She responded to a tweet that um, Father Martin F.J. sent out about... Uh, which I didn't necessarily disagree with entirely, but uh, shorter masses, shorter homilies, uh, we need to get everybody out in an hour, which, you know, if you go to a trad mass, maybe a a high mass takes longer than an hour, but a a low mass, even with a a homily thrown in and whatnot, can, can generally be, depending on how long communion takes, can be 45 minutes. Anyway, she was responding to uh, Father Martin and basically throwing him, throwing him under the bus and, and saying that uh, this is the opposite of what people want. People want uh, tradition. They want Latin because they're fed up with all the bad 70s music and the, the shallow, childish homilies that aren't intellectually stimulating or spiritually challenging. That's how you lose people. The reason that so I'm reading the tweet now. The reason that so many Catholics are asking for traditional Latin masses is that they are seeking to experience the sacred wonder of what God did for us over 2,000 years ago. It's mystifying, and I, I did tweet back to her, but it's mystifying that Pope Francis and others seek to squash those who yearn for a true experience of Christ. Well, it's only mystifying if you don't check your base premise, which is basically what I tweeted back. We'll see if she DMs me. Awesome. Well, we are running into some technical difficulties at the moment. I can't imagine any any spirit out there that would want us to not be able to record and, and disseminate this information right before mm-hmm. the, the sin nod. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're having technical difficulty. Anne lost the connection, and she said uh, her, her connection is dead. Go ahead and wrap it up. So I think we're going get to get to that right, right about meow. Although I do want to throw it to Dr. Mazza first, because I know he's got some announcements. Yes, well, speaking of uh, sin and putting people through hell... Uh, I am offering a course that starts in just three weeks, uh, and that is a course on Dante's Divine Comedy, which of course is a Catholic classic and a recognized world classic, where the character, the, actually the historical individual, Dante the poet from Florence, uh, goes through hell and purgatory and heaven, and we get, basically, it's, it's, a, it's like an action-adventure and and romance and philosophical treatment of sanctity, which is quite unique uh, in the annals of uh, of literature. So uh, please go to edmundmaza.com and uh, sign up for my course on Hell, Purgatory, and Heaven, Dante's Divine Comedy. Also, I'm offering a course on Romans, Christians, Barbarians. This is part two, and we're going to start with... Uh, Pentecost, and so we're going to go up to the triumph of the church in the early Middle Ages. 
So please go to edmundmaza.com and check those courses out, which are set to start in late October. Excellent. And um, non-buddy Mark, do you have anything you're, you're um, pushing or recommending? <laughs> I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm pushing Anne's third video, which uh, she's recording shortly to lay out in acute detail uh, how we got here starting in 2013 and, well, probably going back further than that, but maybe going back 200 years. But, um, yeah, looking forward to that. It's the right time and uh, probably be republishing some writings from Pope Benedict when he was Cardinal Ratzinger uh, talking about how the ontological nature of the papacy, well, maybe not the ontological nature, but the form of the papacy can and certainly will change. And he said this over and over and over again, in case you don't understand what he was attempting to do. Other than that, stay frosty, my friends. Yeah, and uh, let's not forget that uh, the Synod starts on October 4th. So a good thing to do on Saturday, October the 7th, which is a first Saturday, uh, is of course the five first Saturdays. It's the Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary, Our Lady of Victory, it's the anniversary of the Christian victory at Lepanto. It's a good time for all of us to use the, the rosary, which is the, the weapon uh, to defeat heresy. And October 4th, if I'm not mistaken, that's the Feast of St. Francis of Assisi, isn't it? It is. Interesting consilience there. Well, uh, let's go ahead and start to do the wrap-up then. The email address for the podcast, where you can send feedback, comments, suggestions, or good news items for wrapping up the normal podcast. Um, we're all... Just full of good news on this one, so we don't need the, the special wrap-ups. The email address is podcast at barnhart.biz. Anne expresses her profound gratitude to her benefactors. Every day, there is at least one traditional Catholic Mass said for all of her benefactors, and once a week, there is a traditional Catholic Latin Requiem Mass said for everybody who died in the previous week, whether you are a benefactor or not. Please, please remember to pray for the priests. Uh, with, without the priests, we don't get any Masses or sacraments or really much of a chance for heaven because uh, there's only two sacraments that can be affected without priests, baptism and marriage. And we need a little bit more than that uh, to realistically have a shot at heaven. So please pray for the priests. We need them. The Barnhart Podcast is a value for value podcast. If you got some value out of this episode, whether it's entertainment, education, preparation spiritually, and you would like to consider returning some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com where you can learn more about that. I'm going to generally skip the uh, donors this time, and we'll mention it on the next time, but I do want to call out, I called him Spontaneous Steven on the last one. I should have given him uh, at least an Associate of Executive Producer credit, so I'll, I'll give him that one on this show. And that's the last thing I had to say. Normally, we would throw it to Ann for Matthew 17.20, but um, we'll pick that up on the next one. Mark, did you have something you wanted to say in this time spot? or uh, The last thing that just came to mind was Ann was talking earlier about the folks, some of them are laity, some of them are uh, priests that are saying that, well, you can't go to a mass where Francis is commemorated as Pope. In fact, there are some priests who are saying, don't come here if that's your position. You're not welcome. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. If, if that's your access to the sacraments, then that's your access. God doesn't expect the impossible. Indeed. We, are, we do what we can, and sometimes that's enough, and everything else relies on the grace of God. So until next time, I am Super Nerd, and on behalf of Anne, thanks guys and God bless.
I am the all-powerful Oz. <laughs>